Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand podcast. I'm Pastor Joe Faldet. Today we're actually going to be looking at the Canaanite genocide. And it's not an easy topic. It's something that I really struggled with. And I know that we did not look through all aspects of it. This is not an exhausted subject. But this is an attempt in a sermon to try to explain what's going on, why we're having struggles with it, and how can we apply it. So may God bless you as you listen. So today we're going to be looking at Judges 1, verses 21 through 2-5. If you please rise out of honor of God's word. Judges 1, 21 through 2-5. And, well, I'll explain myself once we, after our scripture reading. That's found on page 255 in your Black Pew Bible. Judges 1, 21 through 2, 5. I read in Jesus' name. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. That is its name to this day. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, or the Canaanites. For the Canaanites persisted in the dwelling in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalon. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko and the inhabitants of Sidon or of Alab or of Akzib or of Helva or of Afik. Or of Rahab. So just a note, when you're reading these names, just sound confident and people think you actually know what you're saying. (laughs) So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nathli did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and the end of Beth Anath came, became subject to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down into the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres, in Aijalon, and in Shalbim, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim and Selah and upward. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you 
up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their their <laughs> you shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? And now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, I ask that you would grant us wisdom and humility to understand it, Lord, and to apply it into our lives. Father, that you might be glorified in us, Lord, that we might walk as Christians all the more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the, the reason, well, there's more than one reason that I need to preach on genocide. And one of the reasons is because I've been asked about it a number of times as we started in the book of Judges. Like, why did they do that? Why did God have them do that? What's going on here? And then as you, as you read about what's going on, you know, with, within Christianity and the, the battle between Christianity and Islam, one of the things that gets brought up is, well, the Jews committed genocide. They committed jihad. You know, why can't the Muslims commit jihad? And so why do we say that we're better, you know, that we're not like the Muslims? You guys are just the same, and that, that attack will get leveled at Christians time and time again. Um, and it gets leveled at Jews as well. And, and so it's like, well, how do we answer these questions? Because there's a lot of questions. How many of you have ever wondered, why did God have the Canaanites destroyed? Did, have any of you ever thought that? I know I have. And you know, the, the sad reality is, God answers it. But before I get into that, I want to look at some of the foundations to the question. And why is it that we struggle so much with God condemning an entire people? Like, that's a hard question. Why, why do we struggle with that? And I think, as I've listened to people talk about this and argue about this, um, the first thing is, the fact that God is, that God actually exists. And this is where a lot of people really struggle. The God of Scripture actually exists. And if we don't start with the foundation, the presupposition that God exists, then all of this stuff doesn't make any sense. You know, that a God exists that's far beyond our understanding that he who created us and everything in this world, in all of its intricacies, he who knows how it works, he who knows the end from the beginning, God, God, in all of his truth, in all of his wisdom, in all of God, that he is, and that we're not God. You know, as we ask this question, well, why would God do something like that? We need to start with this understanding that God is not beholden to us. God is not fully understandable to us. God is way beyond us. 
God is way bigger than us. God is way smarter than us. You know, how many of you parents have ever watched your children work a piece of technology and think, I have no idea what they're doing? You know, I, I actually watch my children playing with phones. Anton knows how to do things on my phone that I don't know how to do. And he's five. And I'm pretty good with tech. But I still don't know how to change the car in Google Maps. Granted, I've never spent a lot of time futzing with it, but he knows how to do that, and I don't. And so he can do that, and he's like, you know, when we were driving down to Phoenix last winter, he said, so what do you want on your screen, Daddy? Do you want a truck? Do you want a green arrow, or do you want a car? And it's like, I didn't know there were options. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I'm not as smart as I could be. There are people out there that are way smarter than me, and it's kind of sad that, that one of those is my five-year-old. But to just start there and then work that up and apply that bigger. If God is, then God's actions are going to be to some degree indescribable. They're going to be so big. They're going to be so, there's going to be so many reasons why God does what he does that we're not going to be able to apprehend all of them. We're not going to be able to catch all of them because God exists. This isn't just some people that are retroactively trying to explain their heinous acts. It's that God actually exists and he is so big and he is so powerful and he is so wise. And secondly, if that God is, that God also then has the ability to condemn because that God knows. That God can condemn. And this is a scary reality. And part of the reason I think that people push back on this idea of genocide is because they're also pushing back on this idea of hell. They're pushing back on the idea of eternal condemnation. That God, you know, God, God's a God of love. God would never do that to anybody. God would never send anybody to hell. That's not the sort of God that I believe in. Like, actually... Maybe the God that you believe in isn't the God that actually exists. And maybe you don't like that idea that, you know, there is an eternal condemnation. There is an eternal separation. There is eternal hell. And that is a terrifying reality. And this image that we have of the genocide of the Canaanite people is actually an image of hell. This is God saying about the Canaanites, and, and God says, do I have that in my notes? I don't have that in my notes. Ah, bother. Um, God says, I'm going to pull it up. I have my note, other notes on my phone. Um, God says to Abraham that after 400 years, the sins of the Amorites will be fulfilled. What's he saying? God is saying that at this time, by the time the Israelites come back from Egypt, at this time, the Amorites are going to be so sinful that I'm not giving them a chance to repent anymore. They have gone so far that, come on, they have gone so far that there is no longer any hope. I actually don't have that in my notes. Bother. <sighs> they have gone so far that I'm done. Will God ever say about us, 
you know what? You're done. Does God have the right to do that? Say, you're done. You don't have any options anymore. You don't get to play with this any longer. You're done. I'm not giving you the opportunity to repent because repentance is a gift. I had a, a friend in, when I was in college and he was a, a, he was a drunk and he was a womanizer. He actually reminded me of some of those guys that you guys were talking about during the Sunday school hour. And this guy, I was talking to him. He was a cowboy from western North Dakota. And he said, and I said, aren't you afraid of, of God? Aren't you afraid of condemnation? He goes, no, I got to figure it out. I was like, oh, really? And he said, before I die, there's somewhere in the Bible, it says that if you say that you're sorry for your sins, God will forgive you. So I got to figure it out. I get to live my life however I want. And then before I die, all I have to say to God is, God, I'm sorry. And I'm good. And no. And where is that? Where do you find that in Scripture that we can just say, you know what? I can just make it right with God. Because in reality, we can't make it right with God. That repentance, that turning away from our sins, that's a gift. This is why we don't play with sin. Because out of that fear that God's just going to say, no. You're done. And that's a terrifying reality. But how do we know that's true? Because God did that with the Amorites. God did that with the Canaanites. God said, their sins are fulfilled. They have reached the point of no return. They're done. And this is why we as Christians, we as individuals, we encourage people, don't walk in sin. Don't walk in sin. Don't play with it. Don't, don't fondle with it. Don't, like, don't think about it. Don't go there. Don't go into sin at all. As much as you can, don't go into sin. This is what makes us pietists. It's... <laughs> Amen. Yeah, we don't usually hear that about pietists. <laughs> this is why we don't go there. It's not like, oh, no problem. It's just a little sin. God will forgive you. I'll pat you on the head and you go along your little way. It's like, no, get out of this. Why? Because there's this fear of condemnation, eternal condemnation. And we see that in the genocide of the Canaanites, that God will say, if God will say it to a people, God will say it to an individual. You're done. The third thing is, God speaks. God ordered the Israelites to do this. That, this, that they were the hammer of condemnation. They were the ones to bring the sword. God could have used anything. God could have used rampant cancer. And killed off all the Canaanites. And we would have said, oh, that was kind of sad. God could have used a plague. God's done that before. Used a plague, wiped through the area. Cleaned it out. No people left. Israelites waltz into an empty land with houses still built. Could God have done that? We would have said, oh, well, that's just. God said to the Israelites, you are going to be the ones to bring this condemnation to the people. And I think one of the reasons why is because the Israelites themselves needed to know this is what happens when God condemns people. The Israelites had to be the ones to know that. And as I've 
disciplined my children, it has taught me so much about God's discipline towards me. That God's feeling of responsibility towards me, knowing that this guy needs to be corrected, otherwise bad things are going to happen. Because that's one of the reasons why I disciplined my children. It's like, if they don't, if they don't learn how to control themselves, it's not going to go well. And so God's saying the same thing. And so I'm learning all sorts of things about God's discipline towards me. Not that I have a whole lot to work on. But um, <sighs> tell, tell me, uh, Paul, we're walking the same road here, man. As, as God disciplines me, it's not out of hatred towards me. Because I tell you what, I don't hate my kids. It's out of God's love towards me. And then I know, though, that if I, I can push God so that that discipline continues to get worse. You know, that God, I would rather have my children just hear the rebuke. No, don't do that. Instead of saying, okay, don't do that again because now your discipline's going to be worse. And then they do it again. Okay, now it's going to be worse because you're not learning, you're not listening. You're not doing. And so why was it through the Israelites? I think it was through the Israelites because the Israelites had to see this is how God works. You don't mess with God. Like C.S. Lewis says about Aslan, he is not a tame lion. He's not something that we can just figure out how to manipulate. And once we got God figured out, we can do whatever we want because we just push the right buttons and then we get the proper outcome, the outcome that we want. It's like, no, God's bigger than us. God's bigger. Any questions? These are hard truths. So, there aren't any questions on God being judge and God having the right to do this. Because God has the right to do this. Let's look a little bit at some of the specifications that God gave on the Israelites. Because why then do we, as Christians, why don't we engage in jihad? Why don't we engage in genocide? <laughs> Why? It, we need to ask that question. Because, you know, the Jews did it in the Old Testament. Maybe it's time for us to engage in some of this and, you know, clear out the Middle East and all of this rush, rubbish that's going on there. And maybe we should have a march towards Washington and push them, push D.C. off the map. Maybe. No. That's not what this is teaching us. First off, what is story? Is story prescriptive or is story descriptive? Story is descriptive. We can apply it and we can learn from it, but it's not prescriptive. And so God is describing this situation. And this is a specific situation. There were specific boundaries. The Jews weren't told to just go and take whatever land they wanted. Go and kill as many people as you can, and the people that you kill, you can have their place, and you can have their stuff. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, it's these people. These people specifically. They weren't told to go up into Hittite country up in the north, you know, up into the, the Anatolia, and they weren't told to go off into Europe. They weren't told to go off to the Euphrates. They weren't told to go anywhere there. They weren't told to go down into Egypt. They were told to go to this specific place. Why? Because it's the specific people. Their sins were fulfilled. They were the ones that were under condemnation. Everybody else was given another opportunity. But this people, they weren't given another opportunity. 
God said, it's time for condemnation to fall. It's time for them to be done. They are done according to the will of God. It was a specific boundary and it was set for a specific time. The time was at this time. It wasn't during the time of Abraham. Abraham wasn't called to commit genocide. Abraham wasn't called to clear out the people. Abraham wasn't called to do that. He wasn't called to just buy up all the land that he could. He wasn't called to start wars. You know, Jacob wasn't called to start wars. Jacob actually fled from wars. You know, he was scared after the rape of Dinah and Judah and Levi did what they did. You know, he ran away because he didn't want the war because it wasn't the right time. And so then we as Christians, we don't just get to decide when, you know, okay, it's time to go and march on Washington and push the politicians off the map. No, that's not given to us. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but that's not given to us. That's not our calling. We haven't been given that by God. God hasn't brought that condemnation. And so this condemnation was for a specific set of boundaries. It was for a specific time. Abraham didn't have the right to take this upon himself. Jacob, Isaiah, or Isaac, didn't have the right to take this upon themselves. It was as God directed it. And even with that, Moses didn't have the right to go and do whatever he wanted. All of them were doing this under submission to God. And that's an important lesson there. It was under submission to God. They were doing the hard things that they were called to do under submission to God. And the people that didn't really submit to God, who kind of did it their own way, God walks in and says, that's not going to go well. That's going to be bad for you. Because you are unwilling to submit to me. You are unwilling to trust me. And finally, this stuff was recorded. So how many of you have ever heard of embezzlement in the church? Any, any of you? Churches embezzling money? Did those people die on the spot? No. <laughs> you guys answered that way too fast. Um, <laughs> no. They didn't die on the spot. What happened with Ananias and Sapphira? They died on the spot. Why do you think God recorded that for us? So that we would know how he feels about it. So that he wouldn't have to then, after that, kill everybody who did the same thing. That was recorded so that we have it now in a historic record that this is the way that God feels about that. This is a condemnable offense. And so also with the Amorites. What they were doing was a condemnable offense. God has it recorded so that he doesn't have to repeat it. You know, this is why in the days of old, before loudspeakers, like generals would write down their speech and they would give their speech and then they would send their speech out for the rest of the army and then it would be read to the rest of the army as well. Well, why was that done? So the general didn't have to go and talk to everybody out in the army, but it was disseminated so the rest of the people could know. You know, nowadays we have the privilege of YouTube and, you know, Twitter so that everybody knows everything the president's saying. <laughs> Whatever. But that's what's going on. But here, it's recorded so that he would have to repeat it. I don't have to give my sermon to everybody who queues up on YouTube, which is great. Not that at this point I'd be giving that many, but it'd still be a lot during a week. I don't want to do that, give the same sermon 
15, 30 times? Oof. No, it's recorded so that we don't have to repeat it. Why did God record this? So that it wouldn't have to be repeated. You know, this is, I think, as I went through the Old Testament quickly and looked at all the wars, I think this is the only offensive war that Israel was allowed to fight. Every other battle that they fought was defensive. They were protecting themselves, and through protecting themselves, they gained more. But I think this is the only offensive war that they were allowed to fight. I, with Saul and the um, Amorites, you know, there's a little bit of debate there because the Amorites were also raiders, and so you could say that that was offensive. You could say that was defensive. I'm not going to get into this, the semantics there, but the Amorites were also supposed to have been taken away. Anyway, you know, they were supposed to have been killed at this time too. So Israel wasn't just told. They weren't just given a blank slate to say, okay, go and, go and battle wherever. It was no... This is recorded so that we know what offensive condemnation looks like. Now every other time they were just defending themselves and the Philistines attacked them. David, you know, David was told to go up against the Philistines. What were the Philistines already doing? They were already marching on Israel. And then David went and listened to the Lord and destroyed their army. But that was defensive. They were already marching. And so this is recorded for us so that God wouldn't have to continue to repeat the same thing. So why don't we do this? Well, because God recorded it here. And now we know how he feels about sin. Now we know. He doesn't have to repeat it again. Now he can work in another way. Now he can use all of his creative ingenuity to do other things. But now we know. Any questions? So this is descriptive. It's specific. It's set and it's recorded for our benefit. So applications. There's a lot of there's a lot of applications that we can draw out of this because this could have been left silent. God didn't have to tell us about this. He didn't. But he has it recorded and since it's recorded, we're supposed to be using it. And we need to use it in our lives and we need to use this record in the lives of the people that are around us. Because how does God feel about sin? We've already talked about this a little bit. How does God feel about sin? Is God just the grandfather in the sky that winks at our sin? Like, no. No. Sin. And so within this, who is supposed to have been destroyed? And we're going to talk about this a little bit more, um, you know, as we continue in the book of Judges. But who is supposed to have been destroyed? Was it just the fighting men? No. Everybody. Everybody. And so this teaches you something about sin. Who does your sin affect? As a father, who does my sin affect? Does my sin affect my wife? Does my sin affect my children? How should I interact with my sin? Knowing that God's condemnation didn't just come upon the fighting men, didn't just come upon the heads of the household, but came upon the heads of the household, the fighting men, the women, and even the children. They were all condemned due to the sins of the whole society. The whole society was, was engulfed in this. And you know, the interesting thing is, 
It wasn't done during the days of Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek was a man who worshipped the Lord, as far as we can tell. It wasn't done to the people of Jethro. You know, Moses' father-in-law. Why? Because he was a priest of Midian. He was a priest of God, as far as we know. People will debate that. Uh, Whatever. There's always debates. But God didn't condemn those who sought him. God condemned the whole family, though, of those who gave themselves completely over to sin. How does God interact with our sin? How does our sin interact with our family? How does that spread out in our lives? My sin isn't just my sin. And this is why I want you guys involved in my life. Because my sin affects you. As pastor, my sin affects you. So we'll take for illustration the embezzling. I don't know why I point to the buses. <laughs> you don't count there. Um, if I started embezzling, would that, have a bene- would that have a negative effect on our congregation? Absolutely. If I fell from trustworthiness, how would that affect all of your guys' interactions with each other? If I, it, it would destroy them. Because then you get these battles amongst the congregations. And now the people of the congregation are fighting each other. And the relationships are destroyed. And instead of seeking Christ together and encouraging one another in your walk with the Lord, now you're at war with each other. And that becomes your focus. And that becomes what your church is about. And so you can't, you can't even seek God properly because now you're fighting with the rest of the people in your congregation. Why? Because the pastor actually is very central in this. My sin affects everybody. You guys need to call me out on my sin. And I, I don't think I'm embezzling. <laughs> you know, I don't have any access to our checking account or anything of that sort. I don't even know who gives money where. Who knows? Well, the trustees know and the treasurer knows and I think Linda Winter knows. But other than that, I have no idea. and I don't want to deal with any of that because I want that totally out of my hands so that I'm not tempted. So what? So why do I want you involved in my life? I want you involved in my life because my sin will affect you. Even the private and the hidden sins because what does God say? That which is done in secret, we shout it from the rooftops. There is no private hidden sin. God will reveal it. And so that sin affects everybody around it. And God makes sure that that as that sin affects everybody around it and that's not corrected by the people around it, then that condemnation falls upon them too. And that's a terrifying thing. That condemnation follows sin. And sin follows relationships. And it ripples out. Because you guys have a responsibility towards me to correct me when I get into error. Secondly, also, what else does this teach us? We are weaker than we know. Why were they told, remove everybody, destroy all the altars? Everything that could be passed through the fire was passed through the fire. Why? Well, because a lot of the metal was idols. And so they were to be melted down before they're taken into the people's possession. Everything that could be passed through the fire was washed so that the people could know that it had to be cleansed. So that Isaiah passage, I'll bring you through the fire, I'll bring you through the water, that's actually talking about this time. That God is purifying you for His work. 
so that you could be possessed by someone that's holy and righteous. And the imagery is just really cool. But what's going on here? Why is God telling them that? Why is God saying get rid of everybody and everything that represents these gods? Because they will be a thorn in your side. They will be a snare to you and you will be led astray. Period. We're not as strong as we like to think we are. You know, I can manage that. I can watch that. It won't bother me. I can, I can go there. I can hang out with these people. You know, maybe I could go and I can be a witness all by myself. No, you know what? We should be in terror. We're not as strong as we like to think. We need to surround ourselves with godly people. That's, you know, 2 Timothy 2.22. I have a YouTube video on that. Preached that this week because, well, I lost my voice there in last week. So I put that on YouTube to be pursuing Faith, love, righteousness, and peace. I think those are the four. Along with those, call upon the Lord of the pure heart. Why do we need godly people in our lives? Because we're not as strong as we like to think. I'm not. You're not either. So we don't let sin in as much as we can. You know, temptations to sin are sure to come. Jesus says that, right? We can't keep all temptations out. You know, even if you're a stylite, you know those monks that stood on top of the pillars? As Dr. Munseth always said, they were, they were sadly foolish because they brought their greatest source of temptation with them, themselves. <laughs> temptations to sin are sure to come. But that doesn't mean that we invite new ones into our lives because we've got other ones. We strive against it. And finally, the third lesson that I want to bring today, we'll talk about more of them as we go, the need for repentance now. Now. Why don't we play with sin? Because that condemnation is at the door. We repent now. Because we don't know when it's going to come. Do you think the people that lived in Canaan, the Canaanites at this time that lived in Israel, do you think these people said, you know, We've been being pretty bad. But I don't think God's going to condemn us. No. They had gotten to the point that they're not even thinking about God anymore. They're worshiping something else. They're worshiping Baal or Ashtaroth or Molech or money or power or prestige. They're worshiping these other things. Why? Because they had gotten so entrenched in their sin that they no longer saw anything else. And so when Israel came through, they didn't just come through as a lightning bolt. You know, boom, all of Canaan's done. They came through systematically. And what did the people around them do? They kept fighting. Why? Because they didn't want the Lord. What did God do for the people who allied with Israel? He welcomed welcomed them in. Rahab. What happened to Rahab? Did God stand there and say, you know what? No. No. You're of a sinful people, you're of a sinful tribe, and you're a prostitute. You're done. He said, you want to be part of Israel? You want to walk with God? Come on, come on in. Be one of us. Be of the line of the Messiah. You know, what an awesome promise to the person that repents and trusts in the Lord. But the rest of them, they fought against the Lord. They didn't repent. Their condemnation was just. 
because when the fear of the Lord spread through that area, they didn't stop and say, what we've been doing is wrong. They said, we don't want the light. We don't want the light. So why do we repent now? So that we don't get to that point. If we do repent, it doesn't matter how big our sins were. God says, come join the family. Come walk with me. Any questions? This is what genocide teaches us. Bruce? Good question. So Bruce asked, can I, do I want to comment on the sin of slavery? Was that actually? No. <laughs> Jim's like, I got lunch. It's not cooked, but uh, no. Um, yeah, no, I can comment on that. Was the sin of slavery, so as, even within the question, the Israelites enslaving the people of Canaan, putting them to forced labor, was that a mercy? No. No, that wasn't a mercy. First off, because these people remained Canaanites. They weren't integrated into the worship of the Lord. And so even if they weren't killed physically, they were still condemned eternally. And so Israel was saying, you know, it doesn't matter who you worship as long as you serve us, as long as you submit to us, as long as you do what we tell you to do. And so that wasn't a mercy for them ultimately. It wasn't even a mercy at that point um, because they, they were disobedient. And, and this, is a, this is a hard lesson to learn. Unless God redeems it, sin never creates something good. And so Israel's disobedience created something that was worse and worse and worse. And ultimately, these people were destroyed anyways. And so it didn't do them any good. And so Israel was no longer, and so that it destroyed Israel, and it just delayed what happened to these people groups. Now the Jebusites, they're an interesting case because they actually made a covenant with Israel. And they said, we don't want to be at war with you, but then they were on the side, but then ultimately God redeemed them, which was interesting but what they did was different during the days of Joshua. And you can read about that in the book of Joshua. I'm not going to get into all of that. Yeah. And there, there's more there. But I'm, I'm having a hard time articulating it now because I wasn't quite prepared. But disobedience always leads to further unrighteousness. Always. It's like, well, it's the merciful thing right now. You know. No, because it'll lead to further... Um, It'll lead to further sin. It'll lead to further degradation. And me not speaking the truth is going to ultimately destroy me too as well as you. So, does that, hopefully that answers a little bit. Any other questions? And we will talk about that more as we, as we go on. So, with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you we thank you for recording this for us that we don't have to experience it. Lord, we thank you for the, the Israelites that were obedient to you through the hard things. Lord, that they sought to
to do what you told them to do, even though they didn't fully understand it. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be like the Israelites who went halfway. Lord, who only did it partly, who only sought you a little bit and then did the rest of it on their own terms. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be like them, but that we would learn the lessons from them. We pray also that we wouldn't be like the Canaanites, Lord, but that we would always be in fear of sin. Lord, and, and the pernicious nature of sin, Lord, and how it spreads in our lives and destroys everything around us. Lord, help us to remember so that we would not play with it, Lord, but rather that we would fear it, we would run from it. Lord, may we walk in righteousness and holiness and peace, pursuing you with those who call upon the Lord in a pure heart, with a pure heart. Lord, may we pursue it always, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Again, this is not an exhaustive discussion on the subject, but hopefully some of these truths can be applied into our lives. If you have any questions, you're welcome to email me. The best way would be through our website, www.hosannafreelutheran.com. Don't forget to check out our YouTube page at Hosanna Free Lutheran Church on YouTube. May God bless you as you continue to apply these truths.